great to see all of you here this sunshiny, wintry day, amen? I got up and I said, perfect. <laughs> it's a good day. I love snow, sort of. I'm really tired of it, I'm going to be honest. I'd be happy if we had none the rest of the year. I'm just trying to be positive here, at any rate. How many of you had a really good friend growing up? Anyone beside me? I had a really good friend in our neighborhood. We did everything together. Um, he was as energetic as I was. We played basketball for hours against each other. Then when we got tired of that, we'd go down and play tennis. Then we got tired of that, we'd rig up the badminton court in one of our backyards and play that. And then we'd play ping pong. Any game with a racket or a ball, we loved to play. One of our favorite games that we ended up uh, playing was uh, croquet of all things. That's where you hit the little ball through the little hoops, and one of you gets poison, and then when you get poison, you try to get your other one out, and usually I would get poisoned first because he wasn't a thinker. I was a strategy kind of guy. He was a more like, let's just live life to the full and see what happens here. And uh, it was not an infrequent occurrence to see he, he and I about a mile from our house trying to get each other out. Because anything would go once you got poison. He would just get out of there, and he'd start hitting that mallet and that, uh, that ball like a, like a golf ball with that kind of a swing, and we'd end up a mile away trying to get each other out. One thing about my friend was this. He was a talker. Anybody ever have a friend that's a talker? I'm more quiet. Even though I preach a lot, you all think I talk all the time. I don't. This guy could yarn a tail. He could tell one. He could tell doozies. I never knew if he was telling me the truth or not. So... I'm in my 20s, I'm going to get married now, and I want him to be in my wedding party, and he readily agrees. The day of the wedding comes, he's a no-show. I call him up, I go, where are you? Everybody else is here, why aren't you here? And he says, well, I had to have ingrown toenail surgery, and I can't make your wedding. I go, what? Was this an emergency thing or What? You knew my wedding for months. How could you not show up? But that was him. He never moved beyond talk at times in his life. He was a talker, but he never really would make commitments. You follow what I'm saying? And I knew this about him, but I thought for sure he would show up to my wedding. Anyway, needless to say, I was one groomsman short for the wedding. Um, fast forward with me now about 25 years. I'm ministering at uh, New Hope Church in Williston, North Dakota, and one of the big problems that we had in that area of Williston at that time was meth. Uh, a lot of meth manufacture, a lot of meth addiction. And we had a gal in our church who was a meth addict. And man, she struggled with that addiction. And we tried to help her like crazy. Um, and uh, she was really good about talking about it. You know what I mean? Confessing it, crocodile tears, remorseful. But she'd always go back to it. She just couldn't quite break the habit. And I understand addictions are like that are, are tremendously hard to break. At one point, another pastor and I met with her and said, listen, you, you need more help than we can give you here. You, you need to go to Teen Challenge. You need to do something radical in your life. And she was unwilling to do that. See, she was unwilling to move beyond talk. Confession is okay. It's good. Authenticity and transparency is good. But sometimes that's all we ever do. We need to be moving beyond talk at times in our life. Today, as we get into 1 Corinthians once again, Paul's going to take us beyond talk to experiencing the power of God. This is an incredibly 
incredibly insightful section of 1 Corinthians. And I want you to understand, God wants to move us, his people, beyond mere talking to experiencing his power. So listen to the scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read to you verses 14 through 21. Listen to what it says. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Hear verse 20. Hear verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? So Paul gets to this huge thought in this section of Scripture. God and his kingdom is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. I don't know what you think, but when I read this, I think, God, I want power in my life. How do I become one who experiences this power? And the answer lies right here in the scripture that we read this morning. Paul says, imitate me. Imitate me, and you'll experience the power of God. Did you catch that? Imitate me. Paul said, look at my life and do what I do, and then you'll experience the power of God. Now, I don't know if you're astute and if you're picking up some of the themes here of 1 Corinthians, but in the first three chapters of this epistle, Paul has made it very clear we're not to follow leaders. We're not to follow him or Cephas or Apollos. We're not to do that. We're not to have this loyalty thing going on like that. And now he says, imitate me. Is he contradicting himself? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Because what he's not after is a bunch of groupies. He's not saying, follow me and be my little groupie. What he's saying is, do you want to experience the power of God? Look at my life. Look at what God has done in my life and imitate that. And you'll experience the power of God. So this is our big thought today from this scripture. A power-filled life will be experienced as you imitate Paul. As you imitate Paul. So what I'm going to do for the remainder of the morning is just look at Paul and what we ought to imitate concerning him. If we do that, then we're being told here in the scripture that we'll move beyond talk to experiencing some power of God in our lives. And my look into Paul this morning is a snapshot. I mean, he wrote so much of the New Testament, we don't have time to look at his whole life. But we're going to look at his life in a snapshot, just a couple sections of it. One of the things I see about Paul that's super important to get is he didn't add a little bit of Jesus to his life. He didn't try to augment his life. With Christ, he didn't say, I just want to have a better marriage, uh, raise my kids a little bit better, have a better career, whatever. So I'm going to put a little bit of Jesus in there so I have a little bit better life going on. His life was just radically reoriented in Christ Jesus. Which brings us to the first thing we need to imitate about the Apostle Paul, and this is point number one power is experienced through radical reorientation. Through radical reorientation. Not Augmentation. Augmentation means I add to. 
I make it a bit greater, a bit better. Jesus has not come to make your life a bit better. He has not come to augment your marriage. He has not come to make you just a better parent. You don't add a little Jesus onto your already busy life and say, there, now my life is complete. That's a misunderstanding of what Christ wants to do in you. He wants to radically reorient your whole life. He wants your life, as you know, to, to die, to cease, and for you to take up a new life in him. He wants to turn your whole world upside down. For a moment, let's go to ground zero with the Apostle Paul. His story is found in the book of Acts. Acts is the, the New Testament history of the early church. All right? So his story is first found in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, he's introduced to us as a persecutor of the church. He's called Saul at this point in his life. He's called Saul at this point in his life. And he was present when Stephen, one of the earliest followers of Jesus Christ, was martyred for his faith. And the Bible points out that Saul gave his approval to these proceedings. In fact, the witnesses against Stephen and the ones who were stoning him to death laid their garments at the foot of Saul, and he watched over the garments as they went about their business of martyring Stephen. After the martyrdom of Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the people of the way, against the church of Jesus Christ. Paul spearheaded that persecution. He got letters from the leadership in Jerusalem. He made his way, or was trying to make his way to the synagogues in Damascus so that he could find anyone who belonged to the way to uh, following Jesus Christ and bring them back as, as prisoners. But God had a different plan for this guy named Saul. On his way to Damascus, uh, a, a light flashed from heaven all around uh, Saul, and a voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked a very logical question at that moment. Who are you, Lord? He evidently knew this was someone beyond who he was, and so the title, Lord. And the simple reply was, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and I will show you what you must do. And later on, a man named Ananias was sent to Saul to tell him about Jesus and to pray over him. And the apostle Paul was born. And the story began. Now, three things happened here in Saul's life that, to me, flesh out, illustrate what it means to be radically reoriented in Jesus Christ. So let's look at Paul's example here of being radically reoriented. First of all, he had this encounter. You just, it's there. He had this encounter, a life reorienting encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus tipped his world upside down and he said to Paul, You're my chosen instrument to carry out my name, to carry my name before kings and the people of Israel. Listen, this is not meant to be just. Paul's testimony of having his life radically reoriented, having this kind of life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ. You and I are to see that we too are to have this encounter with the Lord Jesus. And he says to you and me too, you are my chosen instrument. 
And your life will never be the same because I am now in your life. This isn't meant just to be Paul's story. It's meant to be your story and my story also. We're all to have this encounter with Christ that's this powerful. And then there's this exchange that takes place in the case of Paul. He changed from persecutor of the church to promoter of the church. In fact, to one of the greatest promoters of the church ever. His life was just so radically reoriented. What was once his life and his life purpose was gone, washed away, and now he had a whole new life purpose of following Christ and exalting Christ. I can hear Paul saying this, imitate me this way. Imitate me. Do what I did here. See that your new life in Jesus Christ is totally different from your old life without him. And be about God's business. And the last word I would use to describe this radical reorientation of Paul is this. It's the word enable. Paul's blinded by this light from heaven. He makes his way to Damascus. Ananias shows up, lays his hands on Saul at the time. And something like scales falls from his eyes. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's now become an enabled follower of Jesus Christ. And he makes his faith public right away by baptism. Here on Palm Sunday, we'll have a baptism service. And I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized publicly, if you've never made a confession of faith and been baptized, you need to do that. That's one of the ways you imitate Paul. It's one of the ways I think that God unleashes his power in our lives when we make him public before everybody and we we make our loyalty to him public and we stand up and we declare, I am a Christ follower. And I declare that before this company of people. Paul did that. The boy was never the same. Paul was never the same. His life was just so radically reoriented. Why wouldn't God do this very kind of thing in our lives? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul isn't the exception to the rule. He's meant to be the rule. He's meant to be the model. He's meant to be the case study of what following God looks like. God wants to do this work in your life. He wants to fill you with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to remove scales from your eyes, things maybe that have hindered you that are spiritually in the way. He wants to heal you that way. Um, he wants you to experience this powerful life, like Paul experienced a powerful life. One of the things I've been noticing as I've studied folk of the Bible and then ones since then who have experienced a powerful move of God in life is that they have some commonality. I want to talk with you for just a few moments about D.L. Moody, this great evangelist from the 1800s. Because what made him powerful is the same kinds of things that make us powerful in Christ, that made Paul powerful in Christ. Dr. Torrey, an associate of D.L. Moody, gave seven characteristics that added up to a powerful life in God. Listen to what he said. First of all, he said this about D.L. Moody. He was fully surrendered to God. Does this sound familiar? Over and over again, we see people used mildly by God are ones who are fully surrendered to him. Secondly, he was a person of prayer. Thirdly, he was a student of the word. 
Don't minimize number four. He had an entire freedom from the love of money. In other words, he wasn't tethered to this world. He wasn't about this world's concerns. He was about the concerns of God. He had an entire freedom from the love of money. Number five should sound familiar. He was a humble person. I'm hoping you're seeing some redundancy here. We've talked about these things over the last few weeks. He was a humble person. He had a consuming passion for the lost. Listen, if you're surrendered to God, if you're humble, if you're seeking God, if you're reading his word, it won't be long until you run into the heart of God. And the heart of God is for what? Lost people. People that don't know him. And lastly, he had a very definite endowment an enablement, an empowerment with power from on high, a very clear and definite baptism with the Holy Spirit. To me, these seven thoughts about D.L. Moody, they flesh out what it means to be enabled, what Paul was enabled with when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, these, to me, flesh out what it means to be a person that's equipped to experience the power of God. Enablement involves surrender and prayer being a student of God's word, freedom from being tethered to this world, freedom from money, humility, having God's heart uh, for people, and lastly, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's urging the Corinthians, model your life after me, imitate me. This is what he's saying, amen? This is what he's indicating. Now, another reason that Paul was not just a man of talk, but power was that he was a fanatical follower of Jesus Christ. This gal that dealt with the meth issue, now granted she, she had transparency and confession, but she never moved beyond talk to this surrendered, fanatical following of Jesus Christ. That's something we should take to heart about the Apostle Paul. This is point two. Power is experienced through fanatical following. Power is experienced through fanatical following. As Paul's story continues in the book of Acts chapter 9, we're told that at once he begins to preach in the synagogues in Damascus. Now, get the picture. He had gone originally to Damascus to what? Persecute the way. Persecute the church. He ends up in those very churches doing what? Preaching. He wastes no time. And in verse 22 of Acts 9, we're told this about um, Paul. He grew more and more powerful, baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. He fanatically followed Jesus, and power was unleashed in his life. I look at fanatically following Jesus like the light switch on the wall of your house that turns on a light. As soon as you turn that switch on, what happens if your light bulb's not burnt out? The light comes on, Right? Fanatically following, it's like that switch in our souls that turns on the power of God. Those who did the greatest feats in the Bible, those who did the greatest feats since biblical times, are fanatical followers of Jesus Christ. There is just no shortcut. That is it, and that's how it works. The challenge is that we mere humans love augmentation more than fanatically following. We really want to be in control of our lives. We want to bring a little bit of Jesus into our lives. We want to have a good life. We want to have the assurance of heaven. We want to have, you know, the best life we can have. And so we tend to think in augmentation terminology. And we want to add a little Jesus here, add a little Jesus there, and have a really good life, have a sweet life. But what Christ wants to do in us is make our lives totally 100% new. Radically reorient him, 
and have us fanatically follow him. The two are linked, power and fanatical following. If you want to experience the power of Jesus Christ, fanatically following him has to be the precursor to that experience. So when Paul says, imitate me, here's what I see. Radical reorientation and fanatically following. Okay, you got this? It's that simple. When, when Paul says, imitate me, he says, you need to have your life radically reoriented. That means an encounter. That means an exchange. That means an enablement of the Holy Spirit. And you have to fanatically follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Do these things, and the power of God will be unleashed in your life. Amen? I want to keep it that simple when it comes to our example of Paul this morning. But what I want to do is take a, 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 and give you a challenge here and then take a little bit of a tangent. So here's the challenge I would pose to you this morning. Please hear this. Please wrestle with this during the course of the week. Purposely do what you think Jesus would have you do in whatever you do. Okay? This week, purposely do what you think Jesus would have you do in whatever you do this week. See, we have this nasty propensity to think some things in life are spiritual, some things in life are secular. If you want to get deeper in your spirituality, then you pursue something like a pastorate degree. But you don't do, do that by business. That's not true. That's a lie. There are some very unspiritual pastors out there. And there are some very, very spiritual businessmen out there. What we want to become is fanatical followers of Jesus Christ and whatever that we find ourselves doing. That defines spiritual depth. That's where the power of God's unleashed. I remember when I was 23, I really felt called into the ministry, but I was too young. I just completed an engineering degree. It felt right to do some work for a while. But I remember going off to 3M and saying, I am a holy experiment. I will live my life fully for Jesus Christ in this environment where they tell me it can't be done. I know it can be done. And for the next 15 years, that's what I attempted to do. Because you're not spiritual by what you do. You're spiritual because you're in Jesus Christ. Amen? And you bring that to whatever you do. And that's spiritual maturity. And that's where God unleashes his power. There is no secular spiritual in God's economy, that's some, I don't know who came up with that thing, but it's just wrong. You are who you are because you are in Jesus Christ, and you do what you do because you're in Jesus Christ. Amen? There is no division. So listen to Colossians 3, verses 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So radical reorientation Fanatical following are the things of Paul that we need to imitate. I want to take a tangent for about four minutes here today, and then we'll conclude this message. But this is so important. Don't tune me out. All right, I'm, gonna, I, I'm actually saying to you, this is not really part of the message. But it's something I want to talk with you about because it's so important. So much of the Bible and so much of the teaching of 1 Corinthians is what I call corrective teaching. It's hard teaching. It's not where you go, as a pastor, and Aaron will attest to this too because he's preaching with me too, and he'll be preaching again in a couple weeks, right? You don't look at this and say, Goody! I get to talk on sin today. Everybody wants to hear that. 
Or I get to talk on, you know, whatever division or not following Jesus very well. Everyone's going to say, good job, pastor. We love you. You come up with such lovey-dovey, sweet words. So much the Bible is corrective teaching. Listen, I'm going to just say this. It's not my fault. (laughs) It really isn't. Sometimes people get cranky at me like I wrote the word or something. So the question becomes for you and I, how do we receive this corrective teaching that is really so much of the Bible? How do we rightly receive it? Because it is a God who loves us who's authored this. Amen? So I want to talk with you for a few moments on how to receive corrective teaching. I think this is really important to get because this is transformative and it's powerful if we get it. Another way of saying this is how do we receive admonishment? Now, admonishment, let me define that for you. It means warning someone of error, alerting them to the consequences, and showing them the means of correcting. How do we receive this kind of teaching that comprises so much of the Bible? Well, we have to begin to understand, first of all, our perspective. Paul had that perspective as he's doing this corrective teaching with the Corinthian church. He says, I'm a father to you. You don't have any fathers other than me. I'm your spiritual father. And what Paul was saying is, I love you. And like a father loves you, I'm going to tell you hard things. A father who doesn't love you wouldn't tell you hard things. They'd let you go all along with your destructive life and reach the natural destructive consequences of it. Because I love you, I'm going to give you some corrective teaching. Now, you've got to understand the author of the Bible, God, loves you. Right? So he's going to use this thing called corrective teaching or admonishment to bring us all to this place of transformative power where we begin to look more like Jesus Christ. So here are some components of admonishment. First of all, there's an identification of a problem. In the case of the Corinthians, Paul had identified they're divided. This division thing, it's a huge honking big deal. And the reason you're divided is you're following leaders for the wrong reasons. One of you follows Apollos. One of you follows Cephas. You're acting like mere humans. And so this is causing the church of God to be divided and impotent and powerless. Then he goes on to identify the principle violated, identification of the principle violated. Paul identified for the Corinthians, they've been violating this principle. You're acting like mere men and women who don't have the Holy Spirit. You're full of the Holy Spirit. You should not act like this. You're violating this principle of being spirit-filled, spirit-led people. And then he gives identification of the corrective action in today's message. He says, imitate me. And you're going to begin to experience the power of God. And what does it mean to imitate him? Well, we talked about that all morning already, right? It means we're going to understand In God, in Jesus, we're to have a radically reoriented life, an encounter, an exchange, and an enablement. And we're to to fanatically follow uh, Christ like Paul followed Christ. We do all those kinds of things. Then we're going to be full of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to experience the power of God. Amen? So you see this is corrective teaching, but it brings us to this place of great transformation and, and the power of God. So much of the Bible is corrective teaching. If we don't understand the purpose and the nature of it and the author's heart behind it, which is love, we're going to throw out so much life-giving 
information. We're just going to throw it out, and we're going to think pastors like me are negative, and I'm not. <laughs> this isn't about me, though. That was a really bad joke that none of you got. All right, let's go to our conclusion. I need to conclude this morning. That was my little tangent. We're back on to the message now. Here's our conclusion today, all right? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. And here's how I'd say that in a concluding point. The kingdom of God should produce power in you to live life for God, to live life for God. There should just be this overwhelming wham of power in you because God is present and doing a work in you. Back when I worked at 3M in Knoxville, Iowa, this was a long time ago, I was putting in this humongously huge motor, 50-horsepower motor, and had a correspondingly huge motor controller that was high amperage, high voltage. The puppy wasn't working right. The controller wasn't working right. It wasn't controlling the motor right. And myself and another systems engineer that was working with me, we had become really good friends. We were looking at that. We were totally baffled on why this puppy wasn't working. There was a maintenance engineer there who was a bit of a know-it-all. And he kind of walked upon us, so we're kneeling before this motor baffled, saying, what's up, boys? And uh, that's how they speak in southern Iowa. Uh, and it's a simple deal here, simple deal. You just don't know what you're doing. Now, that's not a good way to enter into a conversation with a couple of guys that have been looking at something that's dysfunctional for about two days. And my other guy got up and just walked out. He said, ah, whatever. He just couldn't take it. And I sat there and said, this is a little more complicated than you think. He said, oh, I think it's a simple deal. I said, no, it's not a simple deal. Well, he kind of proceeded to disappear. I didn't know where he had gone. A few moments later, though, I figured it out. As all the lights in the room went out and on real quickly. And he came out of the controller room. <laughs> his face was blackened. And his hair was literally blown back. And he had stuck his little tester screwdriver right in the middle of that high amperage board. And he had experienced the power of that thing firsthand. And you know what it reminded me of? Of Wiley Coyote. You ever see those Wiley Coyote ones? And I, I looked at him and I realized, okay, he's not dead. His ears are still on his face. And I begin to laugh. Because he looked just like Wiley Coyote. And then I realized, you just wrecked my $10,000 board, didn't you? You stuck your screwdriver in it. And what he had done is experienced the power firsthand of that equipment. Here's my point. This is our God. At times in our life, he wants to just blacken our face and blow our hair back. Amen? He just wants to blow up in us. He wants to overwhelm us with his presence and his majesty and his power. Paul experienced that on the road to Damascus. His life was radically reoriented. He had an encounter with God. He had an exchange of lives, old for new, and he was enabled by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Why wouldn't God do that in our lives today? Why wouldn't he blacken our face and blow our hair back? Why wouldn't he do that? He's the same God, amen? Jesus Christ doesn't, say, doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will you fanatically follow him? When we do these things, we're going to experience the power of God. And the time, I hope it overwhelms us. It just sets us down and we'll be go, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what happened? That's what God wants us to experience. Let's pray for that and then we're going to end with the song today. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for uh, Paul, for his ministry to us. 
for your anointing upon us life. I have to admit, when I first read those words way back in the day, Lord, about Paul saying, imitate me, I thought, how audacious. How can you say imitate me? But now I get it. He was saying, imitate my experience I've had in Jesus Christ. Where I ran right into him in this unexpected way and he changed me forever, radically reorienting my life. Where there was this encounter that was just basically a blackening of the face kind of thing when my hair was blown back. And God turned my world literally upside down. And I had an exchange of an old life for a new life and this enablement of the Holy Spirit. My life was never the same. That's what Paul's saying when he says, imitate me. And then I've never seen a guy more fanatically following you than Paul. He just, from that point on, began to preach you in the synagogues, had to be scooted out of areas because his life was endangered. And, And from that moment on, there was this fanatical adherence of you, just following after you. May that be us, Jesus. May we be people who are radically reoriented and fanatically following you, experiencing the power of God. That's my prayer for the people of Grace Point. That's my prayer for every person in here. Who knows what lies ahead for us, God? But the plans you have for us are good plans. Plans we can't even fathom or think of. They're insurmountable to our small minds, Lord. Help us to believe big because you're just such a big God. We love you today. We praise you, Jesus. Now as we sing this song, may it be sung as unto you.